glad to be in church today. I, I am. This is our 50th consecutive Sunday meeting together since the shutdown last year. And it was right about this time of year that we were making decisions as elders of what to do, whether or not church was essential or not. And uh, I'm just thankful today for God's faithfulness to us. Amen. He's shown to be faithful. Uh, before I, I get into what we're talking about today, uh, next week, as John said in the, in the video, which a lot of you guys miss because uh, you've never seen the beginning of a service ever, <clears throat> but next Sunday is a very special Sunday. It is Rob and Kaylee's last Sunday at, at, at Calus Christian Church. Uh, th that will mark his six-year anniversary of being on staff here. And it is a celebration of our new uh, church plant, Elevate. If you don't know anything about that, we're planting a church in Lexington. We're sending out Rob to plant that church and team. And yep, absolutely. Yep. We are, I've been telling our church that we are expecting parents and we are giving birth very soon, you know, to our very first child as a church. Um, and so uh, next Sunday after church, we are going to take all the chairs out of here, bringing tables in here. We're going to have a potluck. We're going to celebrate and have a party. Uh, so bring your best dish and, and everything. We will start around 1230, I guess. Uh, so time to go home and come back. And uh, we'll have everything set up. And if we have people to s uh, stick around and set up tables and everything next Sunday, that would be awesome. Also, which is this, is, this is the most exciting thing, you guys. That's great. But the most exciting thing is um, next Sunday, something we've never done in the history of Catalyst Christian Church, everything that is the, in our offering, everything that you guys give next Sunday is going to elevate, 100% of it. And so we're going with it, yes, we are, we are sending them out. So whatever you guys give um, goes to the entire offering that day, goes straight to Elevate Christian Church. And so um, that's very exciting. So be prepared to give and give generously to support our new church plant. It's not going to us. It is going to them. So very, very exciting. All right. So let's get back. Let's get into what we're talking about today. Uh, today is sloth. Not to be confused with the hero from Goonies. Okay. Not that. Sloth is the spiritual condition that prefers the path of least resistance. We're in a series on the seven deadly sins. Last week we talked about lust. And today we're talking about sloth, all right? Now, when it comes to a series like this where we're highlighting seven deadly sins, I found one universal and true thing. We often read scripture, hear scripture, think about what it ought to say rather than what it actually says. Okay, uh, I know it's a tough issue. It's tough to preach. It's tough to hear. Uh, we have many people who get upset when we're talking about uh, sin, and people leave the church over it. Uh, you know, man, I'm like everyone else. I want to be liked. I want to be applauded. Uh, uh, but I, know, I, I knew that if today, at the end of the service, if I was to stand before Jesus Christ, I wouldn't really care about being liked or being applauded too much. The only thing that I would care about was, have I been faithful to preach the Word of God? And I was reading the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3, uh, 4, chapter 4 verse 3, that said, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Uh, instead, though, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know, uh, basically hearing things like, you know, well, Dave, I want to divorce my wife, and I want you to tell me it's okay. Uh, Dave, I want you to, I, I want, I want to, I want to sleep with my girlfriend. And I want you to tell me that's okay. I want to consume more than I need. I don't want to hear about gluttony. 
And I want you to tell me it's okay. Um, Dave, I just want to sit in church, not use my spiritual gifts or do ministry at all, and I want you to tell me that it's okay. Dave, I want you to stop preaching on seven, seven deadly sins and tell me what I want to hear. Be, uh, that's judgmental. Uh, tell me about God's love and nothing else. I, uh, that, that's the, and, and I have to say, no, here it is, biblically. And that's all we have. So, and I, if I dare to start preaching about the sin of sloth, of laziness, uh, it might just get a little bit too close to home, to you and to me. But here it goes anyway. Sloth is different than laziness, you guys. Sloth is a spiritual condition. It is a spiritual condition, not just an action. It is a state of the heart that prefers the path of least resistance in everything. The Catholic uh, pocket catechism defines sloth as a desire for ease, even at the expense of doing the will of God. It is a spiritual condition of the heart that is the gateway to all the other sins we're talking about. The hard truth, you guys, hard truth, this is what I found in my life is that almost every problem in life is a problem we know how to solve. We're just too slothful to do it. Marriages fall apart because of laziness. Abuse, adultery, the person was too lazy to do what was needed to get help or to, or, or to stop the behavior, too lazy to take the time to get counseling, uh, too lazy to make the change you know is necessary. Many of us are in financial trouble because we're too lazy to take the necessary steps to change our spending habits or to work extra hours or just simply be self-disciplined. Uh, we, we have health problems because we're too lazy to take the steps needed to take, keep ourselves healthy. It, you know, it's just so much easier to go through a McDonald's drive through than to fix a healthy meal at home, isn't it? Almost every problem we are facing right now, a problem that we all know how to solve. You know the answer, you know the solution, this might be too lazy to do it. Again, sloth is a spiritual condition which prefers the path of least resistance that prefers ease. When sloth sets up in your heart, though, it brings its, he brings his three ugly cousins with him. All right? When sloth moves in, it brings his three ugly cousins. The first ugly cousin is this, entitlement. Entitlement. Jesus tells a parable where a landowner gives three, give, give, calls three of his servants to him, and he gives each one a sum of money. He gives one five bags of gold, one two bags of gold, and one one bag of gold, each according to their ability. Well, the, the one with five immediately goes out, invests it, and earns five more. Same thing with the, the one that got two. Went out, invested, earned two more. The one that got the one went and buried it in the ground. And then the landowner came back and was selling accounts. And the first one comes up to him and says, hey, master, look at this. You gave me five. I gave you, you know, here's five more. And the guy says, well done, good and faithful servant. Awesome. The one that had two came back and said, look, master, I, you gave me two, and I, I, I've made two more. He gives the same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one that went and buried it. We pick up at the story here in verse 24. And the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. That's a great way to approach your, your, your boss, isn't it? Listen, I know you're a jerk and a thief. It's probably not the best way to approach your boss. But he goes on. So I was afraid and went out and hid the gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy, emphasized lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would received it back with interest. All right? See, this servant was consumed with entitlement. He believed that he deserved what he did not work for. 
Okay? Look how he views the master. You take what isn't yours. You have what I don't have. You got your wealth, not by hard work, but by taking what's others. Is that a common theme in today's society? Hearing that a lot? Yeah? The envy and jealousy are all over the servant. He's mad because his master has things he doesn't have. He feels entitled to. See, entitlement will make you feel like you deserve what you haven't worked for. That's what entitlement will do. Without putting the same, that, that you deserve what other people have. Without putting out their work, without having their talent, without having their education, without having their years of experience on the job. That's what entitlement will do. You'll begin to think you deserve simply because you exist. That's what entitlement does. When sloth sets up in your heart, entitlement, the ugly cousin moves in and begins to dictate your thoughts. All right? The ugly cousin. This ugly cousin makes really strange sounds. He makes sounds like, I have a right to. And I think I deserve. It's really, really ugly sounds. That should never come out of your mouth. This ugly cousin decorates his house, participation, (laughs) trophies, and medals, and whines when he doesn't get one. Like the servant in the parable, entitlement keeps you from working. It keeps you jealous of what other people have and angry that you don't have them. Instead of working, entitlement actually worsens your situation because it stops you from doing the very thing that you need to do. Okay, see the other servants in the parable? Uh, because they worked, were given much more. What they produced by working, their master doubled. You read the parable. The one had everything, the one, though, had everything taken from him. See, entitlement destroyed his future and his situation. Uh, if you read the parable, the master said, You wicked, lazy servant, here, take, what, take the one talent, or take one bag of gold, and give it to the one that has ten. See, even, even what, was, what he had, it was taken from him. All right? See, right now there's a wave of entitlement engulfing our nation. People feeling entitled to what they haven't worked for, especially among our younger generations. It's present in the older generations like mine, but it's especially uh, pronounced in our younger ones. I want to tell this to people of America. You want it? Work for it. Teens, listen to me. You don't need to go fund me. You don't. That didn't exist when we were kids. The second largest generation in American history, the baby boomers, are in their 70s now. You could, this summer, you could make a killing mowing yards washing cars. You don't have to leave your neighborhood. There are people in your neighborhood that need you, and you don't need to go fund me. Your GoFundMe looks like your lawnmower. Go do it. You don't have to leave your neighborhood. See, Sloth's first ugly cousin is entitlement, believing that you deserve what you haven't worked for simply because you exist. The second ugly cousin is this, poverty. Where sloth, when Sloth is in your life, the ugly cousin named Poverty moves into your guest room and begins to dictate your life. Uh, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at at harvest. The the writer of this proverb is saying, listen, some of you guys, an ant has more wisdom than you. That's kind of insulting, isn't it? Well, let's go. Let's keep, keep keep reading. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief and scarcely like an armed man. In other words, it will hit when you least expect it. If you, it, it, not everyone who is in poverty is lazy. Believe me, I'm not here to bash people that are economically down. To, I'm not do, I'm not saying that. Not everyone who is in poverty is lazy. But I'm telling you this, everyone who is lazy is in poverty. 
Okay? I guarantee you that. Scripture draws an unmistakable correlation between laziness and poverty. And, of course, that's common sense. See, when sloth, sloth sets up in your heart, that spiritual condition, poverty is soon to follow. You're constantly late to work, constantly leave work early, because can't, you can't get out of bed, or, or you leave early, and your know, boss is always yelling at you to, because you're slower than everyone else. Guess what you've completely um, uh, eradicated yourself from? Any promotions, any raises? You might even get fired. I found 10 things that require zero talent, zero degrees from a school, zero education, zero help, zero breaks in life. 10 things. Check this out. Number one, being on time. Number two, making an effort. Three, being high energy. Four, having a positive attitude. Five, being passionate. Six, using good body language. Seven, being coachable. Eight, doing a little extra. Nine, being prepared. Ten, having a strong work ethic. Those things take no talent. They take no education, no degrees from a school, nothing. Those are the things that get you ahead in life. Hear this, though. If you're a hard worker and you're in poverty, you won't be for long. Unless, of course, you manage money like a toddler and spend more than you earn. That's a different issue. But if you are the hardest worker in your place of employment, it won't be long before you get a promotion and or someone else hires you. But when sloth reigns in your heart, you all, don't be surprised when this ugly cousin, ugly cousin poverty moves in as well. And that's where you live. The third ugly cousin that, that, that sloth brings with him is excuses. Proverbs 26.13 says this. this is the, I thought this was the dumbest line in scripture I'd ever written. I, I've written, read. Sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. And that's it. Like, what a dumb proverb the heck is that supposed to mean and then I realized the subject of that of that statement was the sluggard why would a sluggard say that well person with sloth in their heart hear this the person with sloth in their heart always sees why it can't be done that's all they see all they see is they can't why it can't be done they see failure before they even try they see danger everywhere they figure it would just be too much effort to do anything, so they find an excuse why they can't. There's a lion outside. That's why I can't get up and go to work, because there's a lion out there. There's always something that, that telling them why it can't be done. So here's a question, Calus Christian Church, and those joining us online. What excuses are you making to explain away laziness? What excuses are you making for not making the necessary changes in your life? Your family may be desperate, Marriage is falling apart, car or your home is in disrepair, your kids are running wild. What excuses are you making for the simple laziness of not doing what you know you're supposed to do? What lion are you seeing out there, you all, that's intimidating you and stopping you? Not only that, not only will we make excuses for ourselves, but a lot of us will make excuses for other people. Maybe people in your family. How many of you parents are making excuses right now for your kids' laziness? How many of you all are actually enabling their sloth? Guys, when sloth enters your life, three ugly cousins take up residence, entitlement, poverty, and excuses. And that begins to dominate your life. 
Do you really think with those three things in your life you're going to be who God wants you to be? Do you think that kind of existence, making excuses for everything, living in poverty, feeling like you're owed the world simply because you exist, do you think that that is why God put you on this earth? Is that why Jesus went to the cross and died to, to give you life to the full so you could live like that? Certainly hope not. We need to rid ourselves of the sin of sloth, the sin of laziness, because it's killing us, you all. It's killing us. It's killing our families, our jobs. It's even killing our churches. But here's the opposite of sloth. See, the great thing about the Christian faith is that it doesn't just tell us what's wrong. It gives us a different vision for how we live. And the vision the Bible puts forth is a term called industry. Everybody say industry. That's the opposite of sloth. The, ap- the exact opposite of sloth. It is the spiritual condition, you guys. This is what industry is. It is the spiritual condition where the soul desires the path of excellence, not least resistance. It's the spiritual condition you live in where your soul desires excellence in all you do. Okay? In the, first of all, we want industry. As Christians, we want to live with the spiritual condition of industry. First of all, in the home. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this. This is not a very popular verse today, but it says this. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You don't work, you don't eat. That's what Paul told the Thessalonians. Because they quit their jobs and were living off of other people. And he said, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. You're going to sit there and watch us eat. And you're going to starve. And we're not going to lift a finger to help you. Why? Because we're mean? No. Because this is your job to work. We're not going to rob you of, your, of the joy of working. We're not going to enable your sloth. I found that hunger is a real motivator to stop making excuses and start working. And I'm not the first one to realize that. that some of the first people that came to this country in the, Plymouth, in, in the colony of Plymouth, Massachusetts, found that out. In spring of 1623... The colony of Plymouth, Massachusetts was in serious trouble. They were about to die off. Food, it was America's first attempt at socialism. There was no individual property. Everybody owned everything. And food was in short supply. The pilgrims had been reduced to a ration of five kernels of corn per day. That's it. Five kernels of corn. That's, what that, that's, what, that's how little food they have. They were concerned about the upcoming winter. If things kept going, they wouldn't survive a winter. The original pilgrims were still there, but there had been an influx of newcomers sent by the trading company, and they were not hard workers. Most of the time, the newcomers sat around and grumbled. That's what they did. They wanted more privileges, more food, less work, and their complaining was taking a toll on the entire colony. And so William Bradford, who's the young governor of Plymouth, was an avid reader of the Bible. Check this out. This isn't taught in history classes in school. Um, William Bradford, he was extremely worried about the colony's survival. He knew the newcomers laying around uh, was uh, eating up all the food without working. They would not last another winter. And he also knew that the compassionate pilgrims, because they were so dedicated to Christianity, would continue to feed them because they didn't want to see anyone suffer. Bradford was convinced that the solution to every problem was found in the Bible. That's a very, very good way to look at things. And he said, the Bible is a book about government. When we don't know what to do, we should look in its pages. Anybody in Washington listening to this? Okay. 
He searched the scriptures and found his answer. Walking outside, he shouted to the entire colony to listen to him. When everyone was assembled, he opened the book to 2 Thessalonians 3.10. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Check this out. This is awesome, you guys. Watch this. This is early American stuff here. This this is a command in the word of God. From now on, this will be the rule of our community, Bradford said. Those who believe in the holy scriptures are bound to obey its teachings. Those who do not are bound by its consequences. Ooh. Governor Bradford assigned the single men in the colony to live with the pilgrim families. Then he then temporarily divided the common cornfields into small tracts, giving one to each family. Corn grown in each family's tract would be used for that family's private use. Raise your own food, feed your own family. No one is to give food to anyone else, Bradford said. Wow. Even someone starving, you were, by law, not allowed to give them food. Wow. Wow. At first, the sluggards tested the pilgrims. Would they really let them go hungry and starve if they didn't work? They soon found that the pilgrim families were resolved to obey the word of God, and they refused to let them eat if they didn't work. After experiencing several days of hunger, guess what they did? Even the laziest among them began to pull his own weight. Bradford's policy was success. He later wrote in his journal, any general want or suffering hath not been among them since that day. Wow. Bradford's policy. You don't work, you don't eat. Brought industry, work ethic, success, prosperity to the colony. Imagine that. So we need to move, we need, we, let's move to a different area in our homes. Parenting. Are we being lazy parents, parents out there? Are we even raising children anymore? The average father spends less than five minutes a day talking to his children. The average couple spends 12 minutes a day talking to each other. That's not enough time. Five minutes a day, fathers, is not enough time to pass down values, to disciple your children, to teach them scripture, to teach them work ethic, to pass on values. Twelve minutes is enough, not enough time for intimacy, for, for, uh, for the hard work of marriage. I heard an interesting saying about parenting. A lazy father does his children's chores for them. Wow. A lazy father does his children's chores for them. You say, no, 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 that sounds like a hardworking dad. No, no, it's not, because you know, you dads out there, you know, it's a whole lot easier just to do it ourselves, right? We know how it's done. We know it's done right. We don't have to put up with the headaches and the whining and all that kind of stuff. Just a whole lot easier to do it ourselves, right, dads? At least you know it's done right, right, dads? Yeah, that's the lazy way out. An industrious father puts in the effort to show his kids how to do it and deals with the headaches that come with it. A lazy father does his children's chores for them. A lazy mother does her children's chores for them. It's time to take the parenthood pledge. Those of you who are parents, I want you to take this pledge from this day forward. This is the Catalyst Christian Church official parenting pledge. All right? And it is very simple. It says this, I will do nothing for my children that they can do for themselves. All right? So all of you parents, raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I will do nothing. And that's it. I'm kidding. I will do nothing. I will do nothing for my children that they can do for themselves. All right. If you have a 16-year-old son, he can chase his own oil. 
You don't have to do that. If you have a 12-year-old, he can mow the grass. If you have 13-year-olds, they can do their own laundry. If you have 8-year-olds, they can make their own lunches for school. They can. A lazy parent does those things for their children. Remember, parents, if you do things for your kids that they can do for, the, for themselves, that does not make you a good parent. It makes you a lazy parent that is enabling your own children's laziness. I know the world says, oh, look what a good parent you are. You're doing such wonderful things for your children. Well, that's because this world doesn't understand that you're raising adults. They think you're raising children. You're raising adults. Here's a question, parents. Um, parent, parenting is preparing our children for adulthood. If you have children... Are they going to be ready to be self-sufficient, self-sustaining adults when they leave your home? That's what parenting is. It's preparing your children for adulthood. So I want you guys to remember the Catalyst Parenting Pledge and stop doing things for your children they can do for themselves. Train them in industriousness. Train them in work ethic. Train them for life because when they're adults, they're not going to have anyone doing stuff for them. And you're enabling their sloth. Here's a question, parents. Are we discipling our children? Will our children, when they leave our homes, be able to make other disciples? I'm going to speak to the fathers, especially those who have daughters. Especially those who have daughters. Dads, what's the stereotype of when your daughter brings home the first boyfriend? What's the stereotype? You're cleaning the shotgun, right? Yeah. Don't touch my daughter. Well, how, real, how realistic is that? It's not realistic at all. You know that your daughter's are going to grow up, they're going to get married, and have children. They will do that with or without you. So dads, here's, here's, a, here's a suggestion. Not just your children. Disciple their boyfriends, their girlfriends. Allow them always, always, always to be at the house. Let them see a Christian man leading his family. Let them see a Christian man praying for the meal. Let them see how a Christian man treats his wife. Do that. That's the hard work. Here's the question, parents. What are we training our children to be excellent at? What are we? What are we doing? That's a question I ask myself all the time. Our biggest fear, parents, shouldn't be of our children failing. Listen, parents, our biggest fear shouldn't be of our children failing. It should be of them being excellent at things that don't matter. So, that things that won't matter in 100 years. So, in the home, let's bring industriousness into the home. The path. The, the, the spiritual condition where the soul desires excellence. Let's bring that into our homes. Second place we need to bring industry to and get rid of sloth is in the workplace. Colossians 3.23, this is a specific command for Christians. This is it. Whatever you do, work with, that at all, as, uh, work with it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you, do, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. When you go to work tomorrow, you're not going to work for a boss. You're to work as if working for the Lord. That's the command for Christians. John Rockefeller said that the average person, his average employee, achieves about 25% of his or her potential. 25%. That's the effort that most people put out. Questions. Are you on time? Are you early? Do you call in sick when you're not sick? Do you abuse or take advantage of a flexible schedule or an expense account? If you're being paid to work 40 hours, people, you better be working 40 hours. I made it a personal goal in my life 
that if I was to ever leave, leave a job, that, it was, that they would need to hire two people to replace me. That was the way I approached my jobs. So whenever I leave, they're going to have to hire two people to replace me. That's, that was always my goal. And I suggest that you all make that your personal goal as well. Here's the, here's the truth. Right now, with your work ethic, your productivity, your attitude and accomplishments, would they have to hire two people to replace you? If not, you might want to try it. You want job security? Listen, people, they don't fire people. They have to hire two people to replace. They don't do that. But more than that, you all, it's honoring to the Lord. It brings glory to his name that the people who call him Lord and Savior are the most hardworking and faithful workers in the place. Scripture commands the work as of working for the Lord. He is worthy of our best. Remember, industriousness is the soul's desire for excellence. You'll work about 100,000 hours in your lifetime, 50 hours a week, plus 50 weeks, uh, 50 weeks a year times 40 years equals 100,000 hours a year. We talk about that all the time, how you'll spend your 100,000 hours. I read the coolest story. It just came across my computer this morning. I want to read it to you. This is so cool. Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and Kevin, Kevin Garnett and others were inducted into the Hall of Fame this past weekend. The part you didn't know? A former car salesman that has never played in, coached, or broadcasted a single NBA game was also inducted. This is his incredible story. In 1984, uh, a man named Nav Bhatia fled his home country of India, moving to Canada. The only problem, despite a degree in mechanical engineering, Nav struggled to find work because of his long beard and turban. He was a Sikh. Okay? After spending two month, uh, months applying to hundreds of jobs with no luck, he, Nav Bhatia finally accepted a, a job as a car salesman. It's the only work, he, only work he could find. It was in the rough part of town, and, <coughs> and he was severely overqualified, but his mission was simple, to prove hard work trumps hate. Through a unique combination of hard work, a friendly personality, and some catchy radio ads, Batia became the best car salesman in Canada. No, he sold 127 cars in his first 90 days, a record that still stands. After proving his worth as a car salesman, Nav Batia was recruited to become the general manager of a larger dealership across town. The business was close to bankruptcy, and the owner said, this guy can come in and, change, and turn us around. There's just one problem. The entire staff quit when they hired him. They said, we're not going to work for a guy that looks like you. Rather than sulk and sorrow, Nav Batia did what he always did. He got to work. Nabatia hired an entirely new staff and started to transform the business. Within a few years, the, the, the near-bankrupt dealership was the most, was largest one in all of Canada. The best part, Batia ended up buying that dealership and along with the original one that hired him in 1984. So instead of working, now he's the owner of them. After spending a decade working for, purchasing, and building up two car, car dealerships in Toronto, Batia was now a self-made millionaire, and this is where it gets great. That, that gave him the financial flexibility to pursue his other passion, which was basketball. When the Toronto Raptors were named the NBA's 28th expansion team uh, in 1995, Batia uh, purchased 
uh, season tickets. The team was terrible, but Vatia didn't care. He showed up to every game, was the loudest guy in the stadium, from cheering from start to finish. After 1998, after, ye- after uh, years of Vatia's loyalty and dedication to the struggling franchise, uh, general manager Isaiah Thomas took notice. He called Vatia to the center court during halftime and recognized him as super fan. He was ecstatic. In the 25-plus years, he's been a fan of the Raptors. There have been 13 losing seasons, uh, multiple blizzards, and even blackouts. Yet Batya has not missed a single home game. He never leaves early, and he's the loudest guy in the arena, even at 69 years old. After the Raptors won their first NBA title in 2018, Navatya became the only fan in NBA history to receive an official championship ring. He also participated in the championship parade. Now, Batya is also the first fan to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Here's his picture right here. That's him right there. Yeah. The best part, this is my favorite part, you guys. Check this out. This is awesome. Now Batya spends $300,000 annually to send thousands of kids to Raptors games. And he intentionally, get this, this is, this is awesome. He intentionally makes people from different backgrounds, black, white, brown, rich, poor, Christian, Muslim, all sit next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And and when asked why, he said this, to bring communities closer together. How will you use your 100,000 hours? That's how he did it. How will you? We need to bring industry industry into our places of work and use our 100,000 hours wisely. The third place we need to bring industry into is the church church. In seminary, they told us that 80% of the work would be done by 20% of the people, and that, that 90% of the giving would be done by 10% of the people. Here's a question, just for self-reflection. What if every person in the church served and gave like you? How would we be doing? The average Christian doesn't visit the sick. We pay the pastor to do that, right? Average Christian doesn't visit the imprisoned. We pay the pastor to do that too. Average Christian doesn't tithe. Average Christian doesn't make disciples who make disciples. Average church is filled with people. They're lazy. The catalyst vision is for here, near, and far, you guys. And we've challenged everyone to have a personal ministry, the thing that you are passionate about, where your talents meet a worldwide need, with your, where your passion meets a worldwide need. We don't want to be a church. We want to be a movement, a disciple-making movement. And I've challenged people who are part of Catalyst to have a personal ministry. What is your area where you feel passionate about? See, Sunday morning should be a gathering of disciples who've been getting it done, kingdom work out in the world, and we come together to celebrate all that on Sunday mornings. That's what church should be. All right? Somebody says, well, that sounds pretty intense. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm, uh, that's what I'm up for. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to just kind of come here and, 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 and sing and, and, and hear, hear sermon and, and hang out with my friends. That's kind of what I want. Well, Joshua 24, 15 says this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
So what's the main thing that keeps people out of the kingdom of God? Is it truly lack of faith? Is it, no, 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 it's not. Simple laziness. It's loth. It's loth, a spiritual condition that prefers ease, even at the expense of God's will. How important is this commitment to personal ministry? Well, see, a lot of us don't think it's that, that important to really do ministry. I, and, and this is kind of what I see. You know, Let's see, I've got my job. They'll say this is your life. and Take a big chunk of my time. No, I got some of that. I've got my media time. Oh, good apple. That's my media time. That's my video game time. My Snapchat time. Facebook time. And my Twitter time. My Instagram time. I'm a TV time. Got to binge watch that, whatever show that is. I'm a Sunday morning sports time. Can't let the team down. Got my hobby time. My leisure time. My vacation time. And then, you know, time I got to rest. And a few other things. So, God, here you go. This is what you get. And God looks at us and says, are you kidding me? You wouldn't, you wouldn't give this to another human being. And I'm supposed to be impressed with this? This right here, this right here is what you're offering me? Are you serious? You're kidding, right? We wouldn't give this to a human being. Why do we give this to God? See, many of us don't like to admit it. We really are infected with the spiritual condition of sloth. It's preferring the path of least resistance. Whatever's easiest. And it really manifests itself in the church. See, Catalyst Christian Church, because I love you, I'm asking you today to choose this day which you serve. Whether it's the, the things this culture says are so important or the Lord God. Remember, you can tell how lazy, pers- how lazy a person is by how much they plan to do tomorrow. God says, choose for yourself this day whom you serve. Let's kill Sloth and his three ugly cousins. Entitlement, poverty, and excuses. Invite the band to come on back up. I'm going to invite you this day to change sloth to industry and move your heart 
from preferring the path of least resistance, from taking the easy way out, from, from going along to getting along, to your soul's desire for excellence. Let's repent of the spiritual condition of our hearts, which prefers ease, the path of least resistance. Let's live in the spiritual condition which, which desires excellence. There are Christian men and women sitting here today and joining us online that right now are going along to get along. We're watching our culture move as far away from the Word of God and what's good for our families and good for our communities and good for our societies. We're watching that happen right before our eyes. And we're doing nothing because it's just easier not to say anything. It's just easier to let things happen. It's just easier to go along to get along. It's just easier. And sloth has allowed our culture to become what it is right now. Let's repent, church. And let's stop taking the easy way out. And let's desire excellence for ourselves, our families, our church, our communities. And let's rejoice and what God will do with industrious Christians desiring excellence.